Welcome to the Tournament of Everything, a bracket-style show where we compare random pages off Wikipedia to other random pages off Wikipedia. That's right, and we do so by writing the names of those things on things and putting those in a bag full of all things, taking that thing into a never-ending hall and finding ourselves deep within the center of the earth amongst an alien race of mole men who encapture us and put us into a prison cell. We then take each of those things from our bag of infinity, attempting to bribe our guard in order to show us out and the route to the surface. Which one of those things will buy us our freedom? That will be our selection moving on to the next round of... When I think of mole people, the only people that come to mind is the Underminer from The Incredibles 2. I feel like all mole people probably look like the Underminer, and that guy got away, but I don't think we would make it out of that scenario. Can we instead just pick random pages off the internet? Uh, we could, but I'm now going to have a surplus of unused shovels, and I have to learn to live with that. Have you ever seen the movie Holes? I have not, but I have seen Round One. In Round One, we have Dahaj Railway Station against... Oh boy, I think that's a word with a number in it. Hidlar... Kazilakamam. I'll I'll show everyone the spelling in a minute. Well, clearly with that pronunciation, uh, this round is already off the tracks. So let's chug along, uh, learning first about our railway station friend Dahej. Dahej Railway Station is a railway station on the Western Railway Network in the state of Gujarat, India. Ah, yes. Uh, this railway station is 62 kilometers away from Baruch Junction Railway Station, and uh, one MEMU train happens to start here. Oh, that's cool. Now, the train station is 26 feet above sea level. It is owned by the Ministry of Railways and Indian Railways and is operated by Western Railway. It seems as though uh, trains are likely a very important thing, uh, part of transportation there in India, the Western Railway is one of 18 zones of the Indian Railways, hmm. but it's among the busiest uh, in all of the network. Yeah, if you've ever seen pictures of an, a train station in India, they just kind of like pack people on. Like literally, they stand there and they just push you into the train till everyone fits. Well, there's so many great and beautiful places to go and visit and see there in India. I can see why they'd be in such a rush. Uh, speaking of rush, I'm in kind of a rush to learn about our other competitor, Hildar Kizakahamam. Yeah, I'm going to put the tab up on the screen here so you can see what it is spelled like. Like I said, I think those are ones. Uh, they certainly look like it, but I'm not very good at math, so I'm not going to count on knowing what that is. Uh, what I do know is that this happens to be a village in a wonderfully named district in Turkey. Yeah, that district also has one. It's in the Ankara province, initially. We know that. And that is actually all we know. This article is literally just kind of the name. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, this district, 70 kilometers north of the city of Ankara, near the motorway to Istanbul. Um, it looks like about 25,000 uh, people live in this area. So... Uh, you know, pretty well populated. It looks nice and lush. Uh, yeah, beautiful spot. I'd take a train ride there. See, but 
if you're going to take a train ride there, doesn't that make the train probably the better competitor? Because we have to pick one. Yes. We're not taking a train to our friend in Turkey. We're picking which competitor will be moving us into the next round. That's right. Now, uh, the train is always on the move. Mm -hmm. uh, this mm -hmm. location, likely static. Probably stationary. Probably on a good day, stationary on a bad day moving. That's right. Now, but the question is, is it better to not move and go nowhere? Or to be constantly moving and go nowhere? For it's always on the same tracks. It's running the same loop. It's back and forth. Um, mm -hmm. So, is it better to be content? Or is it better to be uh, constantly wandering? I think, personally... I love nothing more than a relaxing train ride through the Indian countryside. Even though I've never been through the Indian countryside, I've been through the Illinois countryside, which I hear is close. So I'm going to have to go with the train station. Okay, yeah. Uh, looking at it, I think I'm going to have to agree. Um, definitely would have loved to have seen a picture. Um, but I do see, much in the in the same vein as the uh, British uh, with subway, you know, watch your step uh, and all of that. They've mm -hmm. kind of got a similar emblem that they use. Uh, they're all under, well, not the queen anymore. But, no, the uh, king. That's right. Uh, I wonder if any of this goes underground, but I can tell you that um, this railway station has emerged as the victor in this first round of... Good job, to Hedge Railway Station. We can actually pronounce you. Yeah, we choo-choo, choose you. And uh, I think we should just chug along to round two. It's time for round two. In round two, we have Seer La La against the Pittsburgh Center Station. Would you look at that? Another train station. Wow. Uh, you rarely do see one car just going by itself. I wonder which of these is the engine and the caboose. We're going to have to dig in a little bit more. I hope you brought your ticket. However, let's start uh, seeing about our other competitor, Serer Lala. The Serer Lala, or just Lala, are part of this Serer ethnic group of Senegambia, Senegal, and Gambia. So it's probably Senegambia, now that I read that out loud. They live in La, the Lahar region, which comprises 18 villages north of Thais, and whose inhabitants are Sierra Lala. Ah, okay, so the people are ethnically Serer, but their language is Lala, or Lahar, though not a dialect of the Serer Seen language, but like Safi, Noon, Ndut, and Pollar, uh, one of the Kangan languages. Oh, I've never heard of that before. Now, they have other names. They're the Serer Lahar, the Seer Lahar, mm -hmm. the Seer Lala, the Seer Lal, the Seer Lala with only two A's, the Lalal, or just Seer. Right. Uh, so the important thing to remember is that this Lala is not the land, but the language. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, before that one gets, again, more off the tracks, let's jump over to our other competitor, the Pittsburgh Center Station, right at the center of the action. It's a Bay Area Rapid Transit Station on the Anti Antioch plus SFO plus Milbray line. It's located at Railroad mm. Avenue overpass of Highway 4 in Pittsburgh, California. 
Yeah, it's going to throw yeah, you up for yeah. a loop mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. uh, it serves as a downtown area of about one mile away. Um, it's got connecting buses provided by Tri-Delta Tri Transit. Um, but, Rob, there is no reserved parking at this station. Really? That's right. So uh, if you're going to bring your car, you're going to want to uh, you know, just, just leave it. Just forget about it. It's not, it's not your car anymore. Construction of the station was uncertain at the time of Ebart's approval due to lack of available funds. The station was originally known as Road a Railroad Avenue during planning, and the city later chose Pittsburgh Civic Center, which Bart rejected because of its similarity to Civic Center slash UN Plaza Station. That's right. So yeah. they settled on Pittsburgh Center, which was um, obviously less confusing. Yeah, no, that more you take out Civic, apparently, which was the confusing word. That's right. Uh, but they did put in a whole bunch of money to this. Uh, funding started early 2005, an estimated $11.9 million. Uh, that's a lot of... Uh, one-way tickets there. It's equivalent to about $14 million in 2021 because money just keeps getting less and less valuable. Mm -hmm. But these mm -hmm. trains and transit just become more and more important. You know, too many people on the roads. The roads are bad. Too many people on the boats. The boats are bad. Uh, and, you know, you can't get a, a train to space yet. No, no, not yet. Not yet. But there might be an elevator soon. Now, even though it's getting more and more important, this is actually the least used line or station in the BART system with about 1,500 daily passengers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, speaking of uh, not necessarily used that much, uh, let's talk about the Surer La La and uh, specifically, it seems their language here. Uh, the number of speakers of the language is about 12,000. That's a small amount for a language. That is right? indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people. Um, it seems like more people should learn this, especially, I mean, if we wanted to have our own secret code, it's created there for us. And by and large, mm -hmm. we'd be able to just discuss anything in, I'm sure, a beautiful manner. Yeah. Now, even though there are about only 12,000 people who speak this language, they're part of a larger ethnic group that collectively makes up the third largest ethnic group in Senegal with just under 2 million people. Indeed. So, yeah, that is, that's a lot more people. Um, I'm sure, are there some other languages built into there? that they might be sharing? Oh, I bet there are. I don't know if there are any actually listed in the article. It does talk about villages that the Sierra La La live. Uh, Bam, Bapet, Bargaro, Bessi, Bakuna, Dune, Gagorno, Hack. Probably not Coach Hack. It's probably a different Hack. Probably, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, they're over there doing their own things. Mm -hmm. uh, they've mm -hmm. got their own religion as well. It involves uh, ancestor veneration, um, covering all dimensions of life, death, space. Um, some of the individuals are, are Christians or Muslims, uh, whose conversion is very recent. Um, but both of those groups mix their uh, beliefs with the Serer religion, whilst the ultra-Orthodox follow Orthodox Syria religions. So they're still out there doing it as they've been doing it the whole time. And I guess that's that's the question for this round. Are we going to talk about people who've been doing it the same way forever? Or are we talking about people who are doing something brand new, building a new station for the future? Well, considering that uh, we had trains in the previous round, mm -hmm. it doesn't seem to be that revolutionary. That's me, true. You know, and, and this language seems to be a, a, a revolution of the mind. 
Um, perhaps if we were to learn this language, uh, we'd be able to understand ourselves in the world in a new capacity. And that's why I think it deserves uh, a second visit in the next round. I think I can agree with that. Uh, trains show up in the tournament frequently, and they never do well. No, no. no. They're always late. Yep, and always on one track. That's right, and there's always a puddle of something on the floor. And that's not a recipe for success in this, the ultimate turn run of everything. So, Sarer Lala, we'll see you in the next round. The ultimate turn of everything. I want to love public transit, but it's always the puddle on the floor that gets me. Yeah, I, what is it? I don't know, and I'm not going to find out. It tastes weird. Okay, okay, round three. Round three. Time for round three. In round three, we have John Rex Winfield against Into the Net, a 1924 American film. Okay, yes, uh, very fascinating. A chemist uh, mixing it up, getting results versus Into the Net. You never know what you're going to catch here in the ultimate tournament of everything. Let's go fishing, Rob. Absolutely. So John Rex Winfield, born... February 16th, 1901, in Sutton, Surrey, England, was a British chemist. Together with James Tennant Dixon, Winfield investigated polyesters and produced and patented the first polyester fiber in 1941. Oh, man. So yeah, everybody who's got a leisure shoot should be thanking this man. Mm -hmm. um, a flammable material, yet fashionable. Um, it's <laughs> not breathable, but cool looking. No, yes, we prefer to mostly breathe oxygen on this planet. Um, he seemed to uh, almost breathe in knowledge, though, throughout his entire education. Uh, he attended Merchant Taylor's School and Gonville and Caius College. Uh, he went to uh, in Cambridge, where he read natural sciences and uh, chemistry. Very smart man. Yeah, real real smart guy. During the late 1930s, the hunt was on for a new synthetic fiber mm -hmm. to rival nylon. Now, Winfield and his assistant, James Tennant Dixon, investigated other types of polymers with textile fiber potential. Winfield and Dixon discovered how to condense terephthalic acid and ethylene glycol to yield a new polymer, which could be drawn into a fiber. Indeed. Yeah. Wow. That terephthalic condensation... Um seems to have been really the trick um but you know sometimes you just want something that that's not tricky uh, that that's open and can be read like a book oh speaking so, of okay okay our competitor into the net 1924 american film serial directed by george seitz now this oh. had such great actors and actresses such as edna murphy jack mahal and constance bennett yeah. yeah, this is even better than a book because it it involves no reading whatsoever no. Uh, beyond the title. And, of course, you want to read the credits. Mm -hmm. It's important to give everybody their due. Um, and it looks like there was plenty of people in this uh, production uh, directed by George B. Seitz. Um, looks like this was 10 episodes initially released in August of 1924. I wish we knew more about it. Yeah, there's really not much else to know. There is a little bit of a pamphlet, maybe. Maybe it's cover art. Into the net, big orange letters. It's up on the screen right now. And so, uh, you know, there's some description there that is probably too tiny to read. 
she was the 20th victim. So maybe it's a maybe it's a murder mystery. Ah, yeah, maybe some sort of dragnet cop adventure here. Uh, a who done it of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um I hey, I, I love a good mystery. Perhaps at this point this could be considered a cold case. That probably probably cuz there's really not much more to that article there is there. Right. We'll never know if they caught the person uh, unless we're able to somehow dig up this old, old series. I wonder if it's a silent series, given the time period. I guess I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. It, again, does not state that... Oh, that... nope. Silent. Oh. English intertitles. Nice, yeah. nice. Reading for the win. Oh, so you'd have to read anyways. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So if you can't read it, don't watch it. Yeah, no. No, yeah, uh, not not for you. And even getting it dubbed wouldn't really help because it's a silent film. Yeah, it's so. almost it's almost like it's, it's a secret. But you know what was a secret? Polyester, actually. Mm. Due to wartime secrecy restrictions in 1941, it was not made public until 1946. Think of all the years of leisure suiting that they missed. Yeah, uh, I mean the fashions around then were fine, but one of those big, uh, you know, collared shirts oh, and the yeah. slick pants. Mm-hmm. Ooh, they would have looked mighty fine. Um, yeah, this is, uh, I think, dressed up to be the belle of the ball, in my opinion. Yeah, I think if I had to compare these two, which we do, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go with the man who invented polyester. Yeah, um, there are many esters, mm-hmm. uh, of mm-hmm. which he contributed one, and uh, we'd like to put him in as a contra- contribution to the very next round of... Thank you, John Rex Winfield. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I'm sure many, many people attending their first prom, thank you as well for helping them look awkward. Speaking of awkward, (laughs) let's go into round four. Ah, my round four is ready. In round four, we have Robert Quee against Norris Hopper. This is one of those rare events where we have a person against another person. Mm. That most dangerous yet balanced of games where we face off two humans to see who will emerge victorious. Uh, One is coming in swinging a bat. The other is coming in uh, with knowledge of electronics. So let's see if it'll be the brain versus the jock in this round of the Ultimate Tournament of Everything. Robert Kaming Kui is a chair professor at Tennessee Technological University in Cookville, Tennessee. He was named a fellow at the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, also known as IEE, in 2015, for his contributions to ultra-wideband ba- ultra wireless communications, which I think is a cell phone thing. Yeah, it's uh, ultra-wideband radio technology that uses very low energy for short-range, high-bandwidth communications over a large portion of the radio spectrum. Now, Kui got his BS degree in electrical engineering at the Shidan University in 1987. And from 1987 to 1990, he studied for his master's at the University of Electronic Science and Technology of China. Interesting. That's where I got my master's of BS. Um, <laughs> it seems that he uh, remained there uh, in China. Um, 
until 1995 working there. Uh, he became a professor at Tennessee Technological University in 2003. And as of 2014, he serves as endowed chair professor at uh, Shanghai Zhaitong University. Now, his competitor, mm. Norris Hopper, Mm-hmm. Not doesn't have a bachelor's degree, doesn't have a master's degree. Mm-mm. Kind of just an American professional baseball outfielder. Yeah, but this is one guy who could swing it. Mm. Uh, the thing that's standing out to me right away, MLB batting average of 316. That's really good. That is yeah. really good. Really good. Only one home run, so he's consistent. He's not a power guy, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I'm sure he had plenty of... Uh, Opposing defenders hopping mad. Uh, he made his MLB debut in 2006 with the Reds and uh, ended up 125 hits, 15 doubles, two triples, uh, and 20 RBIs. He played all three outfield positions for the Reds mm-hmm. and he was a skilled defender. He recorded just one error in his entire career, finishing with a .996 fielding percentage. Also, very good. Yeah, that is very good. Uh, 13 seasons of his professional career were in the minor leagues. Um, He has a minor league career uh, average of 289. So it seems that as the competition elevated, Mm -hmm. so did his uh, ability to meet it. Um, And and we can see that with just the way that he is attacking Mm -hmm. this very round. Yeah, he was born in Shelby, North Carolina, and attended Shelby High School, where he played shortstop and started as quarterback for the football team. Is there nothing this man can't do? Probably not electronics. Well, and, you know, he's still just throwing. It's pretty much the same thing that he's doing, um, but he's wrapping it up in a different way. Uh, but, you know, that's that's kind of what everything is. We try something, it works. We try it just a little bit differently, and we get another thing. And that that's really what uh, the scientific method is. Mm-hmm. And I think nobody knew that better than our other competitor, Robert Calming Key. Q. <laughs> Q. Q Key. Q Key. That guy. The guy who helps us with our cell phones. Mm-hmm. Now, we have reached the entirety of his article, so for being so important to the world, there sure is so little about him. Um, yeah, I feel like uh, this is no more than just a couple text messages worth, and I'm sure that he had something to do with that. Um, but I think if I have to make the call, I think I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna call up the guy from the minor leagues, the guy from the major leagues, and the guy who's hitting not for power but for consistent contact showing up at the plate. Our good friend Norris Hopper. Yeah, I think I have to leave Robert Quee left unread. I think we are moving Norris Hopper on. That's to right. The next round. Uh, voicemail full, Norris Hopper. You're getting uh, the uh, glove of honor. Yeah, it sounds like this. That's the glove. It would probably be hard to send a text message while wearing a glove. Yeah. Yeah. Voice to text, maybe? You could try that. But they're always chewing gum, too, so. Oh, that's true. It's just a tough life being a baseball player. Uh, So I'm glad to see that this guy, he's getting some enjoyment out of life. Moving on to the next round. Speaking of, let's do the same round five. In round five, we have the Downtown Urbana Historic District against South Africa at the 2019 World Aquatics Championships. Oh, yes, in Uh 
we've got a downtown district, mm -hmm. historic Urbana. Uh, who doesn't love to spend a, a nice night frolicking those streets? Or South Africa at the 2019 World Aquatics Championships. Uh, you know, in the water, over the water, through the water, as fast as can be. Let's not waste any time. The Downtown Urbana Historic District is a commercial historic district encompassing seven whole city blocks in downtown Urbana, Illinois. It reflects the buildings down, downtown, the architecture. It reflects Urbana's development as the county seat of Champaign County and a regional commercial center. Um, while Urbana was founded in the 1830s and began its development in the ensuing decades, the oldest buildings in the districts are from the 1870s. That's a long time ago, 1870. It is. Now, the city expanded considerably in the late 19th century uh, to mid-early 20th century, and most of the district's buildings were constructed during that period, and local architect Joseph Royer designed many of the most prominent buildings there. Yeah, uh, they've got one building, you know, highlighted here. It's the courthouse. It is a big brick box. Yeah, that's that's the one I put on the screen just a little bit ago. That's the one picture with the article. It is clearly looks like an old courthouse. Yeah, uh, it doesn't look like the type of place to you know spend a, an enjoyable day. Yeah, um, but uh, it certainly does look like a courthouse. Uh, let's look over at our other uh, contestant that we'll be courting, the South Africa at two at the twenty nineteen World Aquatics Championships teams. Yeah, these, these took place in South Korea from the 12th to the 28th of July. And Zane Waddle took gold medal in the men's 50-meter backstroke. So these are just the medalists from South Africa. So mm -hmm. they won one gold, two silvers, and... Or no, one gold, one silver, and two bronze medals. Yeah, there uh, seem to be a lot of very talented South Africans uh, just absolute beasts in the pool mm -hmm. uh at this event here not everybody can win no not, not everybody, everybody can, can be this tournament is a perfect example of that you got a 50 50 chance mm -hmm. um it seems like the chances for all of these competitors were much lower yeah yeah probably like uh one in eight i think if i had to guess mm -hmm. you know there's usually what eight eight people eight lanes in a pool yeah i think so yeah yeah eight lanes probably four heats or something a lot of people yeah. a lot of people now, there was also artistic swimming at this championship. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know what artistic swimming is. I'm guessing that's like uh, that's like the ones you see in the cartoons with all the people. Yeah, and the yeah. toes up in the air doing yeah, this that's type probably of thing. It, right? I'm pretty sure you're right. I think they call that synchronized swimming sometimes. That's a better... Yep, that's what I was looking for. Yeah, but yeah. I like artistic swimming. Now, they entered 12 artistic swimmers into this competition... And it looks like none of them advanced. Did they all? Did no, no, they didn't drown. Oh, <laughs> they didn't, no, no, they lived. They lived. They didn't drown. They just didn't make it into the next round. Now, looking at the, there's duet technical routine, duet free routine, team free routine, free routine combination. So some of this might just be like swimming, but beautiful swimming. Yeah, swimming that that contacts you right there in the soul. Swimming that makes you feel like you're at home. Just like you might feel if you were born in Urbana. Yeah. 
if you lived there, you'd be home right now. That's right. Especially hearing about the historic, historic district in the downtown. Um, added to the National Registry of Historic Places in 2019. Took them a while to get that recognition. Okay. But, uh, you know, in the end, you can't deny greatness. And Rob, that's why I think that I'm going to be choosing as my selection to move on to the next round. The South Africa at the 2019 World Aquatics Championships. You know, that was a curveball. I thought for sure it was going to be the courthouse, and I was going to have to disagree with you. But now that it's not, I agree with you. Fantastic. We are in accord, and South Africa at the 2019 World Aquatics Championships, you are in the next round of... The Ultimate Good on you, South Africa. Good on you. Yeah, just uh, really doing a great job. There's a lot of water down there in South Africa. They got a lot of opportunities to practice. Yeah. That's probably why they're yeah. so good. Practice makes perfect. Yeah. I'm a decent swimmer, but like water polo scares me because I don't know when they come up for air. Yeah, those horses must get just exhausted down there. No, no. That's, and we'll just. Round six. Round there you have it. There is your winner. Round six. Those are the horses. So in round six, we have John Q. Jordan against the Nazis. A warning from history. Not, not just the Nazis. This is a BBC documentary. So we have, uh, on this very show, warned many times to not be a Nazi. Uh, we'll see if they agree with us. We'll have to dig in. Um, and we'll see if uh, John Q. Jordan will be agreeable as well. Uh, which one's going to come out victorious in this round? Uh, probably whichever one is less of a Nazi. So let's see. Yeah, I guess we don't know anything about John Q. Jordan, so it could be closer than you think. <laughs> Uh, he's an African-American journalist who covered all black marine units in Italy during World War II. And while there, he filed dispatches as a correspondent for the black-oriented Norfolk Journal and Guide. Although, I'm just going to say, World War II in Italy, Nazi. Yeah, it... it that, who, but maybe he's reporting for, like, an American newspaper and he's just a correspondent abroad. Norfolk, that's in Virginia, isn't it? Well, considering Norfolk State University now awards the John Q. Jordan Scholarship to undergraduate journalism students, I'm going to guess that he was Nazi adjacent, um, but not affiliated. Uh, he was likely uh, one of the good guys, but again, very little information here. Uh, it seems, though, that he was uh, cataloging very important events in uh, human history, specifically focusing on uh, the black Marines, who I'm sure were underrepresented in the time. Yeah, Norfolk State University now awards the John Q. Jordan Scholarship to yeah. journalism students. You said that already? I did. I missed it. But it, <sighs> it, it bears repeating. Yeah, because that's important. It just goes to show that... Um, he was a man of importance. Yeah. And you know who probably wasn't important? This kid. Yeah, this little kid giving the Hitler salute. So I'm, I'm going to show the picture here for, <laughs> for all of our viewers at home. Uh, don't be this kid, I think. Uh, a warning from history. Don't be this kid. You know, don't be that kid's parents. Yeah, that too. Somebody, that yeah. kid didn't buy that get up for himself. No, no so, somebody definitely gave him that and like, oh, that's so cute. Let's take a picture. Don't do it. That's right. Uh, but what we should do is uh, always reflect back on our mistakes. Um, and I think that's just what this documentary film series was doing. It examined Adolf Hitler and the Nazis' rise to power, their zenith, 
their decline and their fall and the consequences of their reign uh, featuring archived materials, interviews, eyewitnesses, and uh, it was shown in six episodes. Yeah, the series was written and produced by Lawrence Reese. The historical and script consultant was Professor Sir Ian Kershaw, mm. who also appears br briefly in the Chaos and Consent episode. So this is a, a documentary series narrated by actor Samuel West. Uh, if you tune in, you may recognize uh, music from the opening credits as Den alles Fleisch es ist wie Gras, uh, of course, the second movement of Brahms' uh, German Requiem. Well, there we go. Each episode runs approximately 50 minutes, and there are six total episodes originally released on BBC Two in September of 1997. Okay, yeah, so this definitely seems like a... Uh, it's been well acclaimed. Uh, it ranked 93rd in the list of 100 greatest British television programs. And they throw an extra E in their programs, so you oh. know they mean it. Uh, drawn up by the British Film Institute in 2000 based on votes by industry professionals. Uh, this was, uh, by all accounts, a, a really solid production. Now, I know we have a standing rule, don't be a Nazi, and that holds true, but mm -hmm. that doesn't mean this series is a Nazi. And I think the fact that it's doing the important work of showing how the Nazis came to power, the consequences of that, and why that's bad, I want to move it on. Yeah, it definitely sounds interesting, but i got to say, I'm intrigued by Mr. John Q. Jordan. Um, I like his name. I like what he was doing. Um, he's a... They've got a scholarship in his name, a journalist. Well, I, I think since we disagree, there's only one way to settle this. I think you're right. Yeah, there's only one way to settle this. We are going to have a tiebreaker, and we're going to figure out whether the pen is mightier than the sword. Hold that. Okay. I'll be right back. Okay. Oh, this is what you give me? You've got that big sword. I know that's what you're going to go get. Well, the pen is supposed to be mightier. We're going to test it. That's not... It's... Ladies and gentlemen, we are moving on the Nazis. <laughs> no, 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 no. A woman from history there you go. as our selection to move on. You can't just say the Nazis and then stop talking. That's I was, bad. I was getting there. Uh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, hey, can't say it too many times. Don't be a Nazi. Don't be a Nazi. Let's move on to the next round. Round seven. In round seven, we have the list of Pan-American game records in athletics against Kablaith Moore Ni Kankabar. Probably. I'll show you the pronunciation in a minute. Yeah, two, I, I couldn't be more excited to have these two heavy hitters uh, coming out. Uh, they've both been talking a lot of chatter about each other in this week leading up to this competition. Can't wait to see how that plays out on the field. We have one list of just the best of the best, and this other one whose name is simply unbeatable. Uh, let's see which one will reign supreme. Yeah, the Pan American Games is a quadrennial event which began in 1951. The Pan American Sports Organization accepts only athletes who are representing one of the organization's member states, most of which are within the Americas, hence the name, and recognizes records set at the auditions of the Pan American Games. Yeah, so uh, these are the best marks set for all of these respective uh uh, events uh, going from long distance, 
short distance sprints, jumps, uh, throwing events, discus hammer, pole vault, uh, even road events, uh, including the heptathlon and the decathlon. Yeah, I think uh, basically track and field, those events, most of the ones that take place in the Olympics, I'd imagine, but only for the Americas every four years. So uh, just the absolute uh, best marks that have ever been met. For example, uh, the 100-meter dash done in 10 seconds flat. Wow. Point that, zero zero. That is really fast. From a runner from uh, named Kim Collins from St. Kitts and Nevis. Okay. Yeah, some of these uh, surprise me. The record for women's pole vault held by a Canadian, Shaughnessy Barber. Why is that surprising? I didn't think Canadians were good at pole vault. Well, they, I'm um, sure, surely you got to jump over a moose somehow. Oh, that's, <laughs> I forgot about the moose. It's the moose. Yeah. The moose. Yeah, they, you, you got to get over them. You can't go under them. You can't go around them. So it's a good call. Uh, the high jump, it seems, um, is actually a part of the decathlon. So 10 events. All put in there, and looking at each of these, uh, the record for what they put together, all of them are really impressive. Ten point two eight in the hundred. They jumped six point or seven point six eight meters in the long jump. That's mm -hmm. crazy. Um, Four hundred meter in forty seven seconds. Yeah, and I, I have a correction. I want to apologize to Canada. I'm sure you pull vault great, and also Sh Shaughnessy's a dude. Sorry. About. Just in case he's watching, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to offend him. But you know who, who I also don't want to offend? Kobolath. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show the, the pronunciation here. So, um, that, that word. Kobolath more ni conchobaher. Yeah, probably. So he's a member of the Yui Conchobaher dynasty whose Soloi Margagdal ancestors have been kings of Kanakt since the 7th century. Where is this place? You've done it twice in a row, though, Rob, for this is a Gaelic lady who died oh. in 1395 in Ireland. Um, it seems that her father reigned uh, as Cathal uh, Mac Domhnail Conchobair from... 1318 to 24, and was the first Oconk Um and his ancestor was one of the last native kings of Ireland. Oh, I, I always forget that Ireland had kings. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. I think it more, I always think of it more as a British thing, mostly because of all the oppression, probably. Yeah, uh, yeah. they definitely saw to that. Um, they... There can only be one, they said, um, and they saw they, they made sure that was the case. Now, uh, this uh, Gaelic lady's obituary states that she was married to the following kings, multiple kings, royal royal lady, um, nail, uh, not worth me butchering their names, yeah. but married to three kings, um, and she's referred ref referred to as um, Port Nod. Three Namhat, um, because her three husbands were enemies of one another. Yeah, that means the port of harbor of three enemies. Oof. So that's great. How, how do you how do you marry three dudes and they all hate each other? How do you do that? I don't know, but uh, Thanksgiving must have been awkward. Yeah, really awkward. Yeah. Well, uh, so she was uh, royalty. 
very, very famous. There's an article written about her, clearly, so that got to work out for her. But is it enough to dethrone the royalty that is the list of Pan American Games records? See, my problem with, like, most royalty is that they didn't do anything to deserve it. You know? Yeah. Okay, so you were given a, a magic sword, or you pulled a sword out of... A lot of things to do with swords, right? Yeah, a lot of swords. But all of these... Compa and... and Clearly, uh, this this Gaelic lady born into it, you know, mm -hmm. not really anything that she had to contribute, but these competitors had to work their entire lives to hit these records, and, and only it's only proper that they stand in history mm -hmm. uh, here before us. And I think that the future should be no different than the past and the present, in that it should stand before us once more. So I'd like to move it on as my selection to the next round. I have to agree, only because it has everyone's favorite fast-paced track event, the 50-kilometer walk. Oh. Yeah. Don't you just love that? I do love yeah. that. Uh, it, it's the way that they're able to slide, mm -hmm. almost as if they're ice skating across the unfrozen ground. Yeah, yeah. One foot in front of the other, but never two feet at the same time. No. No. And those amazing helmets that they have. Yeah. Yeah. You can't beat it, uh, and it can't be beaten. And that's why it's moving on to the next round of... The Ultimate Man, do we love a track event. We do. We do. I don't I don't want to be in it. No, 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 no. That'd be silly. Yeah, I, I don't want to run or jump or, or sweat or <laughs> stand up even, really. Um, but I am straight up on my feet for this next round, round eight. I say, would you by chance have any round eight? Round eight! In round eight, we have Rubase against Faduli. Ooh. Those are both real words, I promise. Yeah, and they both sound like uh, delicious and exotic desserts, but let's see which one's going to be tasty enough to move on to the next round of the ultimate tournament of everything. Uh, where would you like to start? Let's start in Portugal. Let's indeed. Rubais is a civil parish in the municipality of Paredes de Cura, Portugal. Population in 2011 was 512 people in an area of 9.08 kilometers squared. Now, normally we get a list of families, number of homes, not listed here. No, but uh, 512 people uh, couldn't be many. No. That being said, though, uh, and this is a relatively small area, there are still many sites of interest to go and visit, uh, including the Ingreia de São Pedro de Rubiais. Uh, Pictures up on the screen there for everybody. Exquisite. There we go. Uh, there's also the Roman Road from Braga to Tui. Um, there's the Ponta de uh, Rubes and uh, the Solar das Antas. Now, the Ponte de Rubes is just a bridge, so uh, think of what a Roman bridge looks like. There it is. Whoop, there's the bridge. That definitely has a troll under it. Yeah, yeah. But where is he in the picture? You'll never see him until he's coming to nope. collect his due, Rob. <laughs> Trolls scare me. Now, its competitor, Faduli, is actually a person. Faduli Rodriguez Sousa Bai. Born March 10th, 1992, simply known as Faduli, is a Sao Tomean footballer who plays as forward for Portuguese club Castrense. So we actually have a place in Portugal against a Portuguese national. 
would you just look at that what are the odds um is one of these also a train um because we are rolling this uh faduli seemed to be quite the baller uh, as you said forward gonna be striking gonna be scoring uh he made his international debut in June of 2016, entered as a 74th minute substitute in a loss in the Africa Cup of Nations qualifier against Cape Verde. It's not really a great record. You've entered one game and they put you in at the end and then they lost. Yeah, but, uh, you know, players gonna play, and that is exactly what he got to do. Um, I'm seeing that he scored a few goals throughout his time, the most of which was in the 2013-2014 to season with Vittoria Cernace. Now, I don't see any goals since 2016, so I wonder if he's no longer playing. Uh, could be born 1992. Yeah, he's, uh, that's 30 years old. Kind of old for a, a soccer player. Yeah, I guess I don't know how old for soccer players because Tom Brady's almost like 90 and still playing American football. Yeah, um, if Tom Brady had uh, only earned one hand's worth of rings by, by this <laughs> age, uh, you're old. And uh, I would definitely think that this guy would fall in there. You can't run forever for no. we're not all a John Deere. Um I wonder if they have fancy tractors over in the civil parish and municipality of Roubaix. I certainly hope so, because it looks like a place where you would want a way to get around, especially over that bridge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it is also small, so it's got that going for it. Only 3.5 square miles. Not huge. Right there at the top of Portugal, though. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, they say that the cream rises to the top. And, yeah, and this is uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, so holds up. Yeah, it's like, would you rather have a town moving on, or would you rather have a person representing a soccer team who they don't play for anymore moving on? And I, I think I just answered it right there. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think Portugal itself spoke when they took 74 minutes to begrudgingly put this mm -hmm. player in. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we should follow their lead and... Uh, do as the Romans did, and move on, Rubase, to the next round of... Yeah. And you know what? It's not even really that close. No, no. no. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we tried to make him feel good, but yeah. uh, he got he got pounded. Doesn't, doesn't have it. Yeah. Does not have it. Doesn't indeed. Now let's take a minute here before we get into everybody's favorite final round, round nine, and talk about... What makes this episode just a little different than our other ones? That's right. As you may notice, you can see us. Hi. Hi. How you doing? We are on a special mission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get Rob some new fancy gear, which is going to only improve this show for you. We're going to be able to have a whole bunch of more stuff, and all we need to do it is get to 1,000 listens. And that's actually not that many. We have something like... 50 episodes at this point so if everyone out there listened to them five times we're really there and then just share it with a friend right so right now we're recording off of this little device down here that no one can see but it's it's it, this thing this this thing but if we get to a thousand my wife has promised me that i can get a better one with more buttons more sound effects sliders ways to make his voice funny and even mm cool call-in features for guests. That's right. Yeah. So we'll be able to interact with you live. You'd be able to give your opinions and help us choose who's going to move on to the next round of... The Ultimate Terminator Judge Everything. 
So be sure to listen in every day. Tell a friend about the good time you're having. Like, subscribe, download, and feel free to interact with us as we move you on through your day. And on to round nine. Round nine. Here it is. The other one we had. Yeah. That wouldn't happen. No. It's, no. That's what we're talking Just about. think about it. For only one listen a day, you could support this <laughs> podcast and improve the outcomes of it. You can make it better. And Michael sing in the arms of an angel later. Uh, I will sing an unnamed, legally distinct song uh, <laughs> that you can Sorry. think sounds like whatever you like. Uh, speaking of what we like, let's get into these competitors. We have the pilot episode of Two Guys and a Girl against Painkiller, the band. Now, everyone knows Two Guys and a Girl as the vehicle that launched the career of the great, the famous, the everybody's favorite guy, whose name I can't remember. Are we talking about this Ryan Reynolds character? That guy! Yes, Ryan Reynolds was on an ABC show called Two Guys, a Girl, in a Pizza Place, and apparently it was terrible. Wait a second, is this Two Guys and a Girl the same as Two Guys, a Girl, in a Pizza Place? Is it not? I think it is. Right? Isn't this just like the, the beginning? Yeah, there's Ryan Reynolds. He's in a picture. Look, everybody, just in case anybody forgot what Ryan Reynolds looks like, there he is! Uh, he's a good-looking guy, and I'm sure he was a good actor in this show. Uh, let's jump into the plot just a little bit. Uh, Pete tells Berg and Sharon that he's going to break up with his girlfriend, Melissa, because he doesn't think she's the one. But when he then he decides not to. And when Melissa jokingly uh, asks Berg, what have you done with my Pete? Uh, unaware that Pete has changed his mind, Berg says, hey, I told him not to break up with you. Hilarity ensues, and uh, we ended up getting uh, multiple seasons of enjoyment, but we're only talking about the pilot. We're setting everything up here. Yeah, just just the pilot. There's, there's a medical experiment gone wrong that means he can only tell the truth. Eventually, he realizes he's lost and loiters around a pizza place. Berg, trying to win back the friendship of Pete, goes to Melissa's apartment to straighten everything out. It, it's it's a sitcom, right? It's weird and wacky, and you're supposed to go ha-ha-ha with a laugh track. Um, but it also, I don't think the show aired for that long. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, it definitely is one that I'm aware of, you know, the title. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think mm -hmm. that it's uh, it's one of the greats, like, um, like Frasier. Yeah. Or, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a, a joking example here, but, uh, you know, whatever TV show you think would be funniest, we'll have a button for that if we get to a thousand. Um, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> for one listen a day. Yeah, now, I, I will say, apparently it was good. If you get to the bottom of the article, it has a 9.7 out of 10 on IMDb, and I don't know if that means it's actually good or if those are just the Ryan Reynolds fans Ryan Reynoldsing. We're going to turn that into a verb, I think. Wow. Um, yeah, so... Got 9 out of 7 on IMDb, 9.9 .9 on TV.com, and this episode, the pilot, ranks 46,246th out of all 120,171 episodes of all shows on TV.com. I mean, that's a statistic. It certainly <laughs> is. Those are sure numbers. It's about in the top, th it's close to the top third. Yeah. Uh, you know what else is in the top third? Actually, the top 1%. So... This podcast, believe it or not, podcasts with more than 20 episodes, top 1% of all podcasts, that's us. 
because of you guys. Anyway, one listen a day, just one, just one. Speaking of somebody who got a whole bunch of listens, let's talk about Painkiller, the band. Uh, soothing our ears, they're a band formed in 1991 combining avant-garde jazz and grindcore, two of our absolute favorite uh, bedtime uh, genres there. Later albums incorporated elements of uh, ambient and dub as well. Okay, the three primary members of the band were John Zorn on saxophone, Bill Laswell on the bass guitar, and Mick Harris on drums. Okay, excellent. Uh, they have blast beats uh, as a signature style. They're really you know, coming at you aggressive. Uh, they've been in improvisational groups uh, like Naked City that merge disparate genres into a unique scene. Um, and they also have several guest musicians that come on and make appearances, both live and in the studio, including such names as Buckethead, Mike Patton, Green of Godflesh, and uh, GC uh, uh, Justin Broderick. Household names in the community that is avant-garde jazz. Absolutely. Yeah. And those are some cool-looking houses, too. Yeah. And Buckethead. What a name. Oh, Buckethead's great. They're big time. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Uh, we got a discography here consisting of multiple albums, um, including a 50th birthday celebration volume of something. Uh, 50th birthday celebration volume 12. So this yeah. could be the 62nd birthday at this point. Now, as with if anything that was considered kind of grindcore or hardcore or what what are the other ones? There's core, core. Core, core. Yeah, core, core. Extreme metal, punk, industrial, anything like mm -hmm. that. Some of the marketing gets a little lost. So their first record was released on Earache Records, which is not what I want when I'm listening to music. Well, there's nothing uh, to soothe an earache better than a painkiller. And so, um, you know, I think it all kind of makes sense. Um, when you get home after a long day, uh, sometimes you need to just kind of rage it out, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes you want to sit down with your friends uh, and another friend and another friend at a pizza place. That's true. And I think if I had to pick one, it's going to have to be the pilot of Two Guys and a Girl because I remember being a child in 1997. Right, that's when this came out, 1997? Right, something like that? 98, 98. one year off, but I was young. young. I was younger. I remember watching this on ABC and thinking, what a great show. And looking back on it now, I should not have been watching that show. I was a child. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although, you know, network television, they're not going to show anything, abs you know, too... I remember something about, like, a lightsaber. Anyway, I think... <laughs> You remember this episode? I do not, but um, I've seen enough TV to know yeah, uh, what yeah, you're talking uh -huh. about there. Um, I don't think that I have ever seen uh, anything from this painkiller band. Mm -hmm. uh, grindcore, very cool, avant-garde jazz. I like it a lot. Would probably enjoy it mm -hmm. greatly. But does it have the gusto to beat out the 46,000th Two hundred and forty-sixth episode of all episodes. That's true. That's true. We are comparing something that is in the top third of all things ever on TV against a band no one's ever heard of. Well, it's not ranked. It's you know I'm not sure where it sits. That's true. Is That's it true. better? Okay. Are there four forty-six thousand two hundred and forty-seven or six things that are bands that are better than Painkiller? 
Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I, too bad we can't play any of the songs because of copyright issues. That's um, right, yeah. Because then we could let you guys decide. But you can go Google it. It'll probably be on YouTube. Go find it. I just have Ryan Reynolds just staring me down. And, and I don't think that I can... Uh, no, I, hang on. Hang on. We're approaching this all wrong. we got to ask ourselves that daily question. Everyone wakes up and you think about your morning and you go, what would Ryan do? Mm. And you know what Ryan would do? He, Ryan would probably pick Painkiller, the band. I, I think he would probably choose the show that he's in. Are you sure? Did you see him make fun of the Green Lantern movie? I've seen him in those uh, phone commercials that he's in. Uh, and he's trying to save you money. <laughs> That's true. That That is true. He's such a nice guy. He's such a nice guy. How can we deny him? Look at that face. I'm changing my vote. I'm changing my vote. Ryan Reynolds, you have charmed us into moving you, two guys, a girl, and a pizza place, uh, the pilot episode flying in to the next round of... Just look at him. Thinking about his win. Wondering how we ever doubted him. Yeah, um, he's a winner if I ever did see one. And so are you for joining us here on the Ultimate Tournament of Everything. And remember, you can do that every single day of the week. Yeah, every Tuesday and Thursday we have a full-length episode just like this one. Probably not on video, but we might add more of them. Yeah, we're going to figure it out, and it'll be even easier. Once we hit 1,000 views and are able to upgrade our set, uh, it's just going to cost him money. It's just going to cost you time, and it's going to give us all an opportunity to learn and grow together. So please, join us for the next episodes of... The Ultimate Tournament of Everything.